Welcome to Spoilers Intended, a podcast about series, novels, and films. In this episode, we meet two magicians for whom ambition is their only liege, and soon each other's secrets they must seize, leading us through two lives constantly under siege. That's right, we're talking Christopher Nolan's The Prestige. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Stephen Ford, joined, as always, by Andrew Knuckles. Hello. And Joel Killingsworth. Hello. That's a very tame response, given what was going on prior to that recording, but we're good. <laughs> we're quite giggly. There, there's good. a lot of Mountain Dew running in there's the system. <laughs> caffeine in, ingested. Yeah. We're, Pre-show was rocking and rolling. We're, we're like 10-year-olds that have... Um, just been given sugar for the first time. Got hyped up on Mountain Dew, trying to play some Goldeneye. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but as uh, we were alluded to, we are talking Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, just not quite yet. First off, though, because we get a wonderful little rivalry in that film, we thought we'd talk about some other rivalries in media. I'm not going to say film because I don't know what you all have chosen. And I know what Andrew chose. I know what Joel has chosen. It's it's fantastic. That's I'm, all you need to know. I'm going to save the mystery and suspense for last. Oh. I'm going to let Andrew go first. <laughs> okay. So I picked probably one of my favorite quotation marks sports film. It's really a racing film because That's it sport. is. Racing a sport. It, it, it counts. Um, it is Ford versus Ferrari or Ford v. Ferrari for, for the actual name. It's a really dumb name. This is a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the movie is about uh, basically the Ford sport uh, racing team developing the Ford GT40 for the Le Mans 24 hour 1966 race to beat Ferrari which is actually what happened yes uh and it follows Ken Miles uh who was essentially the the developing driver and Carol Shelby who is the the actual like engineer and developer who made the engine in the car to basically perform a 24 hour race which uh, historically up until that point, uh, the U.S. just never had any kind of um, chance at fighting um, European racing teams at that Mm -hmm. point. Uh, And essentially Ford at the time really wanted to get a market share into the racing scene. And they were like, you have to make this happen. And initially from the historical perspective, right, I think Henry Ford Jr. Mm -hmm. went to ferrari like enzo ferrari and said hey we want to buy you and yeah. they basically told him to f off <laughs> and so then the solution was well if you won't let us buy you we're going to beat you yeah, yeah yeah pretty much uh and so the the rivalry is kind of um it, there's like two different rivalries kind of happening within the film but the main one obviously is ford v ferrari so like that is hey uh, that's the, the name of the that's movie. the name that's of the movie. almost like it's why they called it that yeah um, but then you also have um, kind of a, um, uh, a, pr- a friendship and ra- rivalry between Shelby and Ken Miles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's played by Matt Damon and Christian Bale, who is also in The Prestige. And not Matt Damon. Not, not, Matt, not Damon, Matt Damon, but uh, Christian, Bale. uh, Christian Bale's in it. And they just do – it's a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and despite the really silly name, I wholeheartedly recommend to go watch it. It's, it's great. I honestly think the name probably hurt it more than anything. Oh, it, it 100% did. Because it has two big names that do well in American theaters. And, it, and it's a fantastically well-produced film. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just unfortunate that they just named it something that just was, it felt so generic mm-hmm. that whenever, like, because 
I, I even remember be, well, first time I watched it, I was like, we're going to watch this. Like, I don't care about this really? at all. I really don't care. And, and I knew it was about like the Le Mans race. And I mm. love older racing, especially the GT40, because the, the swooping uh, front uh, yeah. front wheels, oh, man, it's just very pretty car. That, that era of design was very pretty. Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of like a 24-hour race is pretty crazy, pretty too. Pretty insane, just yeah. in general. <laughs> I don't remember how many drivers they get in that I time period. I think they get three. Yeah, I, I do think I, it's, I you're it's, a long shift in the car. Yeah, it's roughly um, like eight. eight to 12 hours, depending on how hard you want to go. Yeah, that's that's nuts. Yeah. Just in, insane. Anyway, so in an effort to not choose a sports movie, because as soon as you say rivalry, sports movies are just... Slam dunk. Yeah, super easy to do. You know, you have Ricky choice. Bobby and um, uh, Jean Girard. Yeah, from uh, from Talladega Nights, which is also a great. Sports I, you movie. also have the two people whose names we've already forgotten from Days of Thunder, but also a racing movie. Yep. Right? And there are a lot of options here. I didn't go that way. I went with something everyone has seen. Most everyone, probably everyone has seen. But this is a <laughs> reminder that that every once in a while you got to go back and watch rewatch some things. So original Toy Story. So we're nineteen ninety five. I believe I think it's 94 no 96 no middle 90s I'll let y'all <laughs> look that up so we're talking 95 now nah, I nailed it oh okay we're well. talking buzz versus woody here buzz 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 Lightyear to the rescue yeah which is also topical because that movie is coming up soon toy the, story the light year no movie. the buzz light oh light year movie. <laughs> I was like Toy Story? No, no, yeah, not okay. Toy Story. Light, yes. light year movie. Light year movie yeah. They which, finished that series like three times. It's done. Which <laughs> we hope. <laughs> which I'll be, I'll be interested to see what that looks like. But that is not what this is. This is all about Buzz and Woody. Yep. And kind of the rivalry for, uh, you know, Andy, their, their owner's affections. But also the kind of transitive property of that is that you're kind of the leader of the other toys. Yeah. By being the most popular toy. And, you know, it's uh, Tim Allen and Tom Hanks. Just going at just it. Just going at it. And it's just great. You know, I, again, I, I assume most everyone has seen this. And we have kind of knocked on here about old CGI and it doesn't always hold up. And for being 1995, which is a little terrifying, that was a long time ago now, it does a pretty good job. Yeah. Well, and the the thing that's really impressive about Toy Story is, like, this was, like, the first, like, Probably uh, definitely feature film that mm -hmm. that was all CGI. Yes. And I I mean, I remember at the time it was just like groundbreaking. It's mind blowing. Well, it's also this. it's also like the style that they chose to do. Mm -hmm. it right. Because <clears throat> what's it's you can get away with a lot of things that don't look good compared to real life when you're trying to depict real life things because you've chosen a style that that's just the way things look. Yeah. In this style. Right. And so all of the toys get sort of a pass through that now their humans are not good and they know their humans aren't good and so they minimize them as much as they can yeah yeah you basically only get like um you get a lot his of sister sid. and then the mm -hmm. and sid and then andy every once in a while yeah. but yeah. you definitely see the mom yeah you don't but, see you don't really see any adults most of it is just the voices around the corner yeah yeah, yeah. So they did a good, they understood, hey, we have limits here and they did a good job with that. But because most of the world is very consistent from the toys perspective and also from their, well, actual perspective in that you're, you know, very low to the ground most yeah. of the time, you don't have to worry about all these details and stuff because they just can't see it. Mm -hmm. So they did a good job of working around that. And, you know, it still holds up, still a great story that launched a whole stack of sequels mm -hmm. through Toy Story 4. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and now we have a light year spinoff coming. Well, and, which is probably not relevant to any of this in a generic sense. Yeah. I, I'll, I mean, I'll definitely say, though, the, the rivalry between Woody and Buzz um, is pretty, uh, it's always really fun to watch. Well, and it's very realistic, right? Because mm-hmm. this is kind of what you see in a lot in life is someone comes along and kind of supplants you within your, your standing within a group. And it's kind of like, how do you deal with this? And, mm-hmm. kind of things. and it's, it's just part of life. And so in that respect, it has a lot of application as an adult or a kid. Yeah. You know, the, the solutions, you push him out a window, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> problem solved. <laughs> yeah, you just try and murder him. Yeah, it's okay. No big deal. You hold up his, <laughs> just his arm. You're like, no, it's okay. And I, I will say that um, the Toy Story franchise, just all four movies, like there isn't really a drop off in quality. I actually think it gets better as the movies go on. Well, the stories have more emotional weight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I still have only watched Toy Story 3 one time and that was in theaters right when it came out and I have no enjoyment to watch it again because i cried so hard (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's pretty brutal so joel all right so we're gonna stretch things a little bit oh boy stretch armstrong (laughs) and we're going to span across several different forms of media still stretch armstrong including commercials still (laughs) okay and so we're gonna talk about deadpool versus wolverine all right, all right, all right. I'm here for it. I'm, so this I don't is, know if Andrew's here for it. This is a rivalry that does have its roots in the comic books, right? Mm-hmm. Where you've got Wolverine, who's just like he's Wolverine. Everybody's familiar with that character. He's the grumpy, indestructible this little is also guy relevant with the, because with we the have metal Hugh claws. Jackman. Yeah, do, do you have Hugh Jackman? And then you've got Deadpool, who is the fourth wall breaking, smart talking, uh, completely irreverent uh, sort of antihero who happens to have basically unlimited regenerative powers like Wolverine. Mm -hmm. And so there's this kind of rivalry between them when they meet of Wolverine just thinks that Deadpool is just incredibly annoying (laughs) and Deadpool is like feeds off of that kind of energy and is also like sort of Loki wants to be Wolverine, but like can't stand that he wants to be Wolverine. (laughs) And so makes fun of him all the time and like competes with him and things. And, the the hilarious part about this is that Ryan Reynolds completely attached himself to this historic rivalry, uh-huh. right, in his role as portraying Deadpool in recent films. And so there is an entire series of commercials and YouTube shorts where Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman are playing up this personal rivalry that mirrors the Deadpool Wolverine rivalry. That's cool. I didn't know that. I don't think yeah. I've seen these actually. And yeah. uh, so in film, they've only appeared together one time. And that was in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Terrible film. Don't go watch it. Except that the this is where it started for these two actors taking on the mantle of this particular rivalry. Well, well that was, they, they literally brought in the Merc with a mouth as Deadpool and didn't give him a mouth. Right, right? exactly. Yeah. They took they took the mouth away. And it's, uh, you know, you know. There were other issues. Leif Schreiber was great. That was the best the saber tooth that that we've got. But yeah. he's uh, a big burly guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's playing saber tooth. You hope so. Well, I, I don't know CGI, I, right? I don't. I don't know enough about the X Men stuff beyond just I guess whatever films I've seen. Saber tooth shows up in the very first X Men film. Do you have any idea how long it's been <laughs> since I've seen the first X Men film? Uh, 
But anyway, so because um, Deadpool is such a constantly fourth wall breaking character, the fact that this has spilled over mm-hmm. into like more real world uh, sources of media is very appropriate to how it began. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. That's fun. Yeah, I mean, well, and it's, it's always fun with a healthy rival, healthy rivalry. Oh, and it's and it's a hundred percent manufactured too. Yeah, of course. Like like it's just a performance. And yeah, it, and it's very tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, alrighty. Well, now that we have finished discussing some other rivalries in film and other media, and and we have both of our main actors that have uh, hey. that have been referenced, we have hey. name dropped both, which is yep. a good job there. It, that actually wasn't intentional at all. <laughs> no, we didn't the second plan we that. said rivalry, it was like, ooh, Ford versus Ferrari. I'm doing that one. <laughs> yeah, Andrew threatened me, so I had to let him have it. Well, it was either that or Ricky Bobby. So yeah, well, they're both good choices. Yeah. However. Will Ferrell is not appearing in this film, <laughs> but Christian Bale is, as well as Hugh Jackman. We're talking about The Prestige. This is 2006 from Christopher Nolan. Joel, you want to give us a little synopsis? All right. So the synopsis of this film is you got to be careful with films that have twisty and turny plots, right? Mm-hmm. Because you don't want to give away too much of the story. And in some cases, you kind of just have to say, well, go go see it. Because if I tell you anything about it, then it's already, it's already spoiled. Yeah. This isn't quite to that extent, but it's kind of close. So you've got these two uh, fledgling magicians who are sort of apprenticing to a, a Sta- stage magician. Stage magicians, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, at uh, the turn of the, the 19th century, um, so late, late um, 1800s. 1800s. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> they... Uh, start out as colleagues and then become rivals. And over the course of um, a number of years, they, they start to one up each other and, uh, and hurt each other and sabotage each other as they go. And they just bit by bit um, destroy their own lives as they are consumed by revenge and obsession. Yeah. yeah. And, and magician hijinks ensue. Yeah. Yeah. Stage. Stage, stage, stage magic. <laughs> stage, stage magical hygiene. Yeah. So this is absolutely a tragedy um, that you, you watch for the process, not for the, the feel good at the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what, what do our scores look like? And while you pull those up, um, our, uh, our general scoring is we have a technical score and we have an entertainment score. Mm-hmm. Our technical score is based off of spectacle, which is kind of like the wow factor, the cinematography, the effects. Then we have performance, which is how our actors did. How did they deliver their, their lines? How mm-hmm. do they make us feel? Then we have the score, which is music and sound design and anything kind of else in between there that is audible. And then we have the plot, which is, of course, the story, the plot, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, and how well, one, it made sense, if it actually landed, um, how they, you know, if it was written well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have a, store, a score completely on the outside of our technical score, which is the entertainment score. This right. is the, it was so bad, it's still good, or this is, it was really boring and I still loved it, um, or it was a technical masterpiece and I hated it, yeah. you know. Because, yeah, sometimes you have films that are just objectively terrible, but you still put it on because you want to laugh. Yep. Or vice versa. Yeah. So, Joel? So, for our technical score, we gave The Prestige an 8.0 out of 10. 
That's that's pretty respectable. So very, very well done there. And for entertainment, uh, it actually came down a bit. And we only gave it a 7 out of 10 for entertainment. Okay. That's still solid, but that yeah. is a, a decent gap between the two. Which yeah. Which we don't always see. Mm-hmm. It, especially with entertainment going down. Most of the time you see entertainment kind of go up a little bit. Just a smidge. Yeah. yeah. And I'd, I'd be curious to hear y'all what more details about this after the intermission. But uh, for me... Uh, I definitely gave it a lower entertainment score than any of the the technical yeah. uh, okay. scores. And for, for me, the reason for that was that even though I appreciated the artistry, it was it was like it was like watching a train wreck. It's it's horrible and it makes you feel bad, but you can't look away. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's while I am glad to have seen it and I I had a lot of fun analyzing the different things that went into it. I'm not sure that I would want to see it again. Uh, this is definitely a film that uh, gets worse the more times you watch it. Okay. <coughs> so there's definitely a film that gets worse more times you watch it. Mm-hmm. This is the third time I've seen the film and I remember watching it the first time and I was like, that was fun. I enjoyed watching it. Second time I was like, okay, you know, I've, I kind of see, I saw everything that I missed the the first time. Mm-hmm. And then this time watching it, I was like, okay, this is, this feels a little bit long for what they're kind of going for. And then you just get to watch uh, kind of what you said, a train wreck of just tragedy, just back and back and back and back and just never stops until yeah. the end. And you're just kind of like, okay, this is just kind of a downer of a film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, I mean, don't, don't go in trying to, um, hoping for some kind of beautiful message or, or uplifting story because that is not it. That yeah. it is, it is grime and grit pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I think I think it has some good messages, but the way they are delivered is very aggressively punishing, not <laughs> happy and uplifting. Right. Well, it's 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 the negative reinforcement side of, yeah. of teaching, right? Yeah. It's it's because each of these men who are in embroiled in this rivalry are given multiple points along the course of the story where someone confronts them and say, stop what you're doing. It's not worth it. Man, you could turn back. And and each one refuses to do so repeatedly, and it just ends up destroying them. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the, now, that's not to say that the film is bad, because the, the film is definitely um, uh, technically sound. I mean, we, right, right, right. It's just, it's just like if, you're, if you don't really enjoy a... A horrible tragedy. <laughs> well, there, so there are <laughs> certain, it's hard to watch. There are certain types of film that you need to see once, and then you got the message, you got the import, and you're you're good, right? Mm-hmm. I I'm gonna mess this up because I always mess up. But uh, Grave of the Fireflies, yeah, that definitely qualifies. Oh yeah, that might have gone over Joel's head. I'm not sure. Uh, it's it's basically um, a Miyazaki film, but it's based on the, um, the fire the, bombing the of fire... Tokyo at the oh, end of okay. World War II. Yeah, uh, and it's. It is, it is a fantastic film. It is not entertaining at all. It is super sad. Mm. And I have seen it one time and I will not watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. I've watched uh, it once. That was plenty. Yeah. Never, never again. Uh, and this is, this is definitely a film that's kind of along those lines where I, I definitely feel that you have to be in a certain mood to watch it. Mm-hmm. And um, the, but like Christopher Nolan did a fantastic job directing it. I thought his, oh, yeah. his cinematography was really good. The way that they, kind of showed uh, the, you know, the man behind the curtain of how a lot of these tricks were done mm-hmm. is really cool. 
mm-hmm. just because like, you know, like I'm not a magician. So whenever I see like some of the contraptions that they had to use at the time period of the turn of the century yeah. to like make these things happen is, um, is pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. And, um, uh, it, and it gives you actually a pretty decent respect for stage magicians of the time of like, you could die for essentially like pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. of like your, you know, the audience's admission to your show. Right. And like yeah. one of the, one of the major things that they talk about early in the film is how the guy that these two guys are sort of apprenticed to at, mm-hmm. at the beginning won't do some of the more dangerous tricks. Right. Yeah. And, and that's really frustrating to the new guys because they're like, we could be drawing bigger crowds. We could be having bigger hype. Uh, we just need to take risks. And uh, so there's there's definitely that layer of there are the safe things to do and then there are the not safe things mm-hmm. that you could be doing that just don't have enough safeguards and it it creates a bigger spectacle. But, but there's a reason have, for that. It could have terrible consequences. Yeah. Yeah. I The directing's good. Uh, I think it definitely merits. So unlike something like Grave of the Fireflies, right? It merits at least probably one rewatch. Mm-hmm. The twists are enough. So this is definitely one of those where there's like clues laid in right. throughout the whole film. So you want to go back and be like, oh, that's what this meant. Yep. You know? Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. Well, especially, yeah, because there, there's basically two really big twists that happen at the end of the film. Um, and you really get to, you get a better appreciation for it the second time around because all of those, you know, little Easter eggs are kind of in there throughout the film. And if you if you know what's going to happen, you're like, oh, there it is. And and like the whole film is kind of it's centered around at the very beginning. There's this monologue about how magic tricks are constructed. Right. Mm-hmm. And the whole film is a magic trick. Right? Yep. Like the yes. plot is written along the lines of the way that that monologue is laid out. And so. One way that you could do this that would be a lazy way is you're just like, ta-da, at the end, this is what happened the whole time. And you're basically watching Ocean's Eleven at that point. And, <laughs> uh, but that's not the way that this is set up. This is like, it's there. It's woven in the mm-hmm. whole time. If you know what you're looking for, you could figure it out beforehand. And that's that's the most satisfying way to pull off a twist where at the end of it, looking back, you're like, yes, that's the only way it could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like I said, it, it merits a rewatch for those reasons, mm-hmm. but it has the pitfalls of movies like this where it's very dependent on the twist. And once you know it and then you go back and look for the clues and then there's not a whole lot else to do. Yeah. It's kind of how, how I end up landing on. Mm-hmm. This, so, uh, And I'll, I'll definitely say too, um, just uh, like Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman um, had a really good performance for the whole film. Like I thought that this was probably one of their their better and more emotionally driven films that you've kind of seen them in at mm-hmm. least at least up to this point at 2006 right uh you know because like you know Kent, um uh, christian bale has had a lot of other great films that have come out afterwards and i'm not talking about the the batman films i'm just talking about other films that he's been in that he had a lot more like dramatic roles in where you jackman didn't really get that many no um so so this is actually a really good film for him i think mm-hmm. are you listening closely every podcast consists of three parts The first part is the spoiler-free review, where the host shows you something ordinary. The second act is called The Intermission, where the host wraps up talking about the ordinary and invites you to check out our other content at spoilersintendedpodcast.com. But you wouldn't leave yet, because talking spoiler-free isn't enough. 
you have to discuss spoilers. Now you're looking for the spoilers, but you won't find them because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to find them. You want to be surprised. back all right everyone just in case you didn't get the message it is all spoilers all the time no sleight of hand we said what we mean we mean what we say spoilers ahead if you don't want that it is time to check out if you do want that stick around because we're just gonna get real spoilery and we're gonna kick it off with a little talk about the spectacle who wants to go first on this one i'll take it i feel that i'm gonna start high okay go for it yeah uh, so I actually gave Spectacle a nine. Okay. You um, are going to start high. Uh, the, um, I actually really thought a lot of the effects, especially around Tesla's um, uh, kind of contraptions and, and everything, was actually really good. Yeah. Uh, the, the lightning and, and electric effects were mm-hmm. pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. And even whenever um, uh, Hugh Jackman or even the cat or whatever is actually like walking through and inside of all the lightning stuff, it actually looks really good. Mm-hmm. And um, on top of uh, Christopher Nolan's pretty, you know, pretty solid cinematography uh, backing that he, he kind of puts in all of his films. Mm-hmm. And this is still pretty early in his his career, I think, for for filmmaking. And it, you definitely can see him uh, trying out new things and trying to, to obfuscate whenever he needs to. Yeah. Um, to, to really make some of these little smaller twists in inside of each scene still be really interesting and, and visually engaging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I thought, it, I thought it was a really, it's a really pretty film to look at, uh, especially for, you know, gritty 1899 London, um, where, you know, whenever, like it, like you can feel the pain whenever these, you know, characters like have something go wrong with them. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. One in particular is whenever um, watching it, uh, Repeated watching, you know, whenever um, Hugh Jackman is going to just fall down from the trap door, yeah, like on his, his leg. leg. Yeah. And I, I remembered this when I was watching it. The first time when he drops down, you're like, nope, okay, that's, nope, that's the next one. Yeah. And then he does it. And then like every time I'm just like, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Like uh, I, yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, eliciting those kind of responses is, is a really good way to do it. Okay. So well, I'll, I'll yeah. take it from there. Um, I also gave it a nine. Oh, on okay. spectacle. Right. I thought that the the whole, you know, it's it's you're diving into a world that you don't normally get to experience with mm-hmm. the world of stage magicians and their craft and the kinds of things. And there are details that are included in here about how certain tricks are done that make it like kind of give it that tactile feel of I'm I'm really in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's really that's that's a very romantic thing to do. Uh in addition to that, the opening of the film where you just you you have the shot of all the top hats in the ravine and and you've got kind of some music and then you start with the the overlay of uh the monologue at the beginning and then it's just boom it goes to black and everything yep. goes silent and you're like I've got to know everything now <laughs> uh, and it just it just hooks you and it the movie does slow down but not for a long time Mm-hmm. Like there's a solid half hour there at the beginning where it's just boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom. Because they got to really set up the the rivalry pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so like the the cinematography and the just the visual editing around that was just really top notch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this down just a peg, just down to an eight. 
Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, that's yeah, seems fair. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the setting, the mm. the eighteen nineties to you know, very early nineteen hundreds London, and just the overall feel of not just seeing you know the stagecraft and behind the scenes stuff, but the contraptions that they're coming up with and it kind of just the risk that's being taken here, right? The the apparatus that Hugh Jackman has on um, whenever he's learning how to like uh, like uh, oh, do the cage uh, the trick. cage trick yeah. or whatever. Uh, but the new version of the cage trick yeah. is terrifying. Yeah, oh, yeah, like it's so much. It's so much tension in springs just attached to your body, and like <laughs> if that goes wrong, like it's just gonna rip through something. It's, <laughs> yeah, or or it's just gonna. Which tor- of course it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, just, of course just, it does. just not to him, to the the poor the lady, lady who's yeah. who's up there on stage, and just kind of gets caught in the crossfire between their their mutual sabotaging dislike well and to your point uh i don't actually know if it's actually a broken leg that he has because even at that point you know fixing a broken leg wasn't too well, big something, a deal. something wrong with the knee I, I would assume it's more like an acl yeah. type tear and that is something that at that stage is just like you're just kind of gonna have a limp for the rest of your life because yeah they don't have a solution uh but yeah that that landing is just oh yeah that, every that feel you can feel it yep yeah, like it definitely tense up whenever whenever that happens. And, and for me, as someone who hadn't seen it before, when it hit, it you know it really hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, all the all the backstage stuff going on, the you know the the water effects, right? Because we have several dunk tank mm-hmm. things happening uh, that I think were really well done. I, I this is kind of maybe not a plot thing, but whenever um, Cutter. Uh, at, you basically, you know, they're they're showing the first show of of her being like dunked down, mm-hmm. and he he hits the stopwatch. Yeah, and like immediately, you know exactly what what he's doing. What he's doing is he's he's counting to make sure that right, and know, it's and it's Chekhov's gun too, right? Like you mm-hmm. know exactly what's going to happen that's going to cause the rivalry. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so, but they don't do it for thirty minutes, and you're sitting <laughs> there dreading it. it the whole time, kind of. And they did the same thing with the drop where he injures his knee too because you see because they're gonna kind of shifting through time because it's part of it is epistolary it's being told through the reading of journals mm-hmm. but that's kind of nested because they've each got each other's journal and they're kind of reading <laughs> through so you kind of have to be careful that you're you're keeping pace with where in time you are but it's generally laid out chronologically with a few yeah few skips. A few bits yeah uh, but you know you've already seen him limping around with a cane mm-hmm. so you know that Something something's going to go happen wrong. to his leg and so the whole time that he was setting up that trick with the drop, I was like, I know how he injures his leg. <laughs> <laughs> but now you're just waiting for yeah. it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a good bit of tension in there. And and it's I think a lot of it comes from the actual angles chosen from like the actual cinematography, the shots that are made. Cause there are yeah. some bits where you can tell that they're they're working around some things that you don't get to know yet, but mm-hmm. you are going to get to know. Mm-hmm. So it definitely, you know, like you said, it starts off with that hit of you better be paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. Because we're going to show you something. Mm-hmm. And I think it felt came through for that. So speaking of showing us something, what about some performances? Andrew went first. Uh, I'm going to take it action. Okay. Okay. And I, I might be the low score. I'm not sure. I gave this a seven. Okay. Okay. Uh, there's a, so there's a ton of big names, right? And I, while, while I'll, I'll hand out the olive branch to Andrew in that this may be Hugh Jackman's best dramatic role. <laughs> That's a pretty low bar, <laughs> and I, I'm not going to entirely chalk it up to the acting because I don't necessarily know that the way the film was written and the pacing of it gives anyone a real moment to really go hard emotionally. At the when they're in the um, uh, 
the funeral for his wife mm-hmm. and and um Christian Bale walks up and then they have their little thing o- that over was the body in the awkward oh, hallway yeah, funeral man. home that was um that scene with Hugh Jackman sold it for me right okay. there it was it was really good because it didn't it struck just the right tone right cuz like later in the movie when he is trying to to he's he's like he's lost trust in his spy that he's sent mm-hmm. and she gives him the diary and and he he is pushed into saying I don't care about my wife I care about this trick and figuring out his secrets right right and so that is that admission and that sort of realization he has, for him. He has that quiet moment of, oh, is this really yeah. who I am now? Like, like yep. that was good, but it was completely set up by the funeral scene mm-hmm. because he wasn't broken. He was indignant. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so like there's a very subtle tone that if it had been shifted to a degree or two to the left or the right, wouldn't have really sent him down that same path. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I think the person who really got the most to work with was probably uh, Rebecca Hall, so that's yeah. Sarah Borden. Yes, I, I think of all the characters and the emotional ranges we got to see, she got the most uh, kind of meat to work with mm-hmm. in terms of you know w- what she gets to show on screen. I think she did a really good job. So, oh yeah, I, I want to get that in, and then I'll hand this off to. Joel. I'm gonna take it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, Rebecca Hall, fantastic. She had the like the climactic scene where she is having. Uh, the fight with Borden mm-hmm. where she's basically telling him that she's had enough and she's she's done, right? Right. And she like there there are different levels of getting into the emotions of a scene. Mm-hmm. And she was snotting during this fight. She wasn't just crying, she was snotting <laughs> during this fight. And that is that is next level. That was really fantastic yeah. performance. Mm-hmm. I I gave it a nine overall okay, for wow. performance. I thought that while you didn't really have that any any sort of a really punch in the gut scene where you could see just a ton of emotion out of either Hugh Jackman or Christian Bale, you did have just immaculate performances by all of the supporting cast in addition to with what they were given, the two main actors doing a really, really good job. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have uh, Michael Caine, who is always phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even so, I was surprised to see Scarlett Johansson in the film. Same. Right. <laughs> I, I just I did not realize she was in the film at all. Yeah. She's such a big name now that her not having top billing in this one was it just took me off guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she did a really good job. Like her British accent is on point. Yeah. And uh, her emotional portrayal of being in this position of going from being in love with the one man to being in love with the other man, but being torn between them by this this contract of espionage that mm-hmm. she's under being sent to Borden from Angier. And uh, I thought she, that she pulled that off very well. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the scene for me with, with her, and this is just, um, just thinking about it from like the in universe, whenever they go to dinner, um, and, uh, Sarah's there and then like she walks in with, um, uh, with Borden and then, um, uh, Fallon mm-hmm. and 
like you can just see like one how incredibly awkward it is for her but then she's also like no he's still my man too yeah like there's there's definitely a power play going on there between the women um so i i also gave it a nine um i thought that for like like this is definitely probably i mean probably the best part of the film is the character interactions and especially how um cutter michael kane's character is very um you know he's very fatherly or mentor yes for for, um, for definitely for angier but he also doesn't like he doesn't hold any ill will towards um borden yeah well it's also really crucial to his character that the way that he is introduced is he's watching the time that she's in the water mm-hmm. and he's holding the axe to get her out if she's in trouble right yep. like so his entire characterization moving forward from that is he is the one who understands the risks mm-hmm. and is like fears the risks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite, my favorite line from him. And this is just classic Kane is whenever he gets shot in the arm, whenever he's trying to uh-huh. board up, he's like, fine, that stops me from having to make you a, an air yeah. hole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but on, on top of that, we have um, David Bowie as Nikola Tesla, which is awesome mm-hmm. uh, and completely unexpected too. Like, you know, you're just like, wait, is that David Bowie? Bowie yeah. The face. <laughs> Um, and then you have Andy Serkis just randomly in there as, uh, as Tesla's, um, you know, uh, right hand man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that was pretty fun, you know, cause like Andy Serkis has that kind of like, uh, that kind of like, not creep, but like, he's just that weird guy. He's, he's very much so an Igor character for this, for someone yeah. who isn't really an Igor. Yeah. Like he, he's not like an unattractive man. It's just, it, he just has that kind of weird vibe. Well, he, to gets, him. he nails the, the cringy oily mannerisms very yeah. well. He had a lot of practice. He kinda, he kinda, like character. whenever, whenever he is sitting and he's assuming this kind of caricature about himself, he sort of hunches a mm-hmm. little bit and dips his face <laughs> forward as if he's a vulture. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, he's, he's just Gollum ready to go yeah. for that fish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, honestly, like the performances were fantastic and and Hugh Jackman may not have gotten a lot of other really dramatic roles. And I, I thought like this one was just amazing for him. So and, and I'm not a Hugh Jackman fan, fair. you know, so there we go. Yeah, I just and it may just be for me that I felt like they didn't get enough scenes and it may also be a, a bit of. uh leftovers from watching a a certain other performance and something else that we had watched prior to this. Yeah. And it may just be that it's their fault for being the next thing I watched. And, and, and <laughs> well, by the time that you hear this, it would be moon night. That's Knight. what we just yeah, watched. That's true. Yeah. The, the release <laughs> um, yeah, order be, lines yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Os- Oscar going after himself on screen is really difficult act to follow. Yeah. So that, that may also be some fallout there for them. They just didn't, just didn't quite, hit it like I needed. And some of the other characters did. It's just the main two didn't. Yeah. So that is okay. And I, well, before we move forward though, I did want to comment on the, the appropriateness of Christian Bale of of the two main characters. He's playing the one that is so obsessed with his art that he completely enslaves his whole life and personal health to the art. Uh Mm Mm-hmm. And then he plays the machinist and turns around and plays Batman, right? Like it's, it's he's, just, he's just playing himself in this movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, there's a lot of statements about obsession yeah. and what you do for the craft that, that feel kind of meta. 
yeah. given who the people are on screen and who's directing it. So yeah, because yeah. Christian Bale is is historically a method actor mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to a lot of his roles, or at least he he is a physically meta, meta actor where he will he will lose hundreds of pounds to make sure that he looks like he is just completely yeah, I, emancipated. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the swing from the machinist to... Emaciated. Yeah. He needs to be emancipated. And he's not free. He's not free. Yeah. Emaciated, excuse me. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was about a 100-pound swing from the machinist to the Batman. Yeah. So that's... And that was a quick turnaround. And then we went from Batman to this film, yeah. actually. So now we're going to move on to the score. Of the score. Of the score. Joel, I think it's your turn to go first. Okay. So I gave the score an eight. Okay. on this film the it was very atmospheric and moody mm-hmm. the whole th- the experience of watching this film is just palpable dread right <laughs> yeah and because you're you're told at the beginning of the film these th- these men die right like yeah. that's that's what you're told at the beginning of the film you you mm-hmm. have the scene of Hugh Jackman's character drowning mm-hmm. and you already know that Borden is on trial for the murder. Yep. Right. So you're just like, this ends badly <laughs> like, from, from the very start. Yeah. yeah. And so as you go, they just continue to, to just give you little tidbits of, Oh, Hey, look, this is the next bad thing that's going to happen. You're going to like it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and the music absolutely supports this mood. Mm hmm. Um, and it is, it is a subtle soundtrack. It's, there's nothing in there that's like a big sweeping piece. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't achieve the levels of grandeur that you would want out. I mean, not necessarily like, like da, 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 grandeur, but like of, of mastery that you would yeah. want out of the perfect score mm-hmm. because there's nothing that I can point to and be like, that's the prestige. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but it does support with support the overarching mood of the film and engages in the scenes in a way that a lot of scores fail to do when all they're doing is just supporting the basic emotional content scene by scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go. Go for it. Uh, so I actually, um, this may feel harsh, but I gave it a seven. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the score, the, the actual musical score was fine. Um, the one thing, and this is really more of a product of the times is the the actual sound mixing and sound design of this film kill me every Mm, single time. It's not great. Yeah. Because you have, um, it's almost like in the first scene, whenever you have like these really like loud electrical things happening Mm -hmm. and then you're like, Oh, that's really loud. I need to turn down my volume. And now you cannot hear the dialogue for the whole movie. Unless you turn it back up, and then every time you know an action scene or you know some some big scene is coming on, you have to turn the volume that's back a, down. And that's a common issue uh, for for films mid, of this mid two thousand. Yeah, and it is so frustrating because um, uh, basically, unless you have a very tuned sound system that is meant to balance everything out, if you're just listening off of computer speakers or, or just even normal TV speakers, it's going to be a very frustrating experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we actually just put closed captioning on because yeah. there are several lines that you if just you're, can't hear you, you just never gonna know what they said and it's important to the plot because you need to know what's going on and yeah. you just have to turn it on yeah so like kind of what i what i try and do whenever i'm uh, watching movies for review is i will start it out with no closed captions anything on and i have it on my normal volume and if i if i get to a point where i'm like i didn't hear what that line of dialogue was i turn on closed captions and that's the point yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. it's so frustrating. Like it's not hard to 
level your volumes people mm. like this is like this is not a thing that that should be a problem especially in the mid 2000s they've definitely gotten better at it now there was but. there was this trend for a while in that era where it was it was the trendy thing to do to have which, really which loud was just action to, to play with people where it's like we're gonna whisper for a minute and then we're gonna blow this truck up <laughs> yeah <laughs> and you gotta it, choose which one you want to hear and then all the batman films are like are that. like that yeah uh, and it's it's very very frustrating yeah so likewise to joel i gave the score an eight and a lot of the same reasons you know i think the i think the pieces were Really good. They had kind of that slow, intense mood. They really supported some of the darker scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, same same idea. There's nothing that I can put my finger on and say that's definitely the prestige or that I was going to be humming yeah. coming off the off the movie. I do think it's interesting. So the uh, composer for this soundtrack soundtrack is, soundtrack soundtrack <laughs> is David Julian, and don't he, even know who he is. That's what's interesting. He did a lot of Nolan's early stuff. Oh, okay. Basically up until the point, I guess, that Nolan discovered that Hans Zimmer exists. <laughs> or, or maybe Hans Zimmer discovered Nolan exists. I'm not sure. Because it's kind of the same stuff, just Zimmer is an extra oomph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it, but, I mean, just going through what all uh, David has done, not to just, you know, bash on someone. It's not not like it's on him because this oh, is a pretty good score. Me, me not knowing who he is just means that I... I just don't know who he is. Well, and that's the thing is other than the Christopher Nolan movies he's done most, and he's done a fair amount of stuff. Most I've never heard of. Yeah. And whether that's just a market issue or, or what, I don't know, but you know, he, he did a good job here. So it's kind of sad that he hasn't been involved in other projects. Yeah. Uh, but the sound mixing was definitely something that I nicked it for, because again, it was, you listen to it and then you're like, they said something to each other. That was important. Back it up. No, I still can't hear it. Back it up. Close captions. It was one word. Okay, cool. That's all I need to know, film. That's all <laughs> yeah. you need to let me know. It's, this is it, it is really annoying. This is this is the the same kind of movie as a whodunit. The dialogue is incredibly important. If mm-hmm. we're gonna have these clues that you're dropping, I need to hear them. Yeah. So that's that's definitely worth a little bit of score mm-hmm. on the score. Yep. Plot. 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 That one word. Plot. I'm gonna start. Go for it. <laughs> I gave it a six. Ooh. Um, no, no, that's that's fair. So, um, and this this may be because I've seen the movie a couple times now, um, and I'm going to use a a Stephen um, word disbelief dollars. Are that's in a high, phrase, sir. Uh, they're in that was that was a Joel phrase. I'm gonna I'm gonna own that. <laughs> Joel, uh, well, Joel coined it. I stole it, and now Andrew is using it, which yep. I'm pretty sure means. He owes me money. <laughs> well, that's royalty fees. No, no this this movie. You owes, made this. I made. This. I made this. <laughs> no, this movie owes me money. <laughs> um, so it's the movie itself is grounded very much in reality. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, basically, like ninety five percent of the film, and then it feels. I mean, it it feels kind of out of nowhere that the basically like the main uh, plot point that that. Um, Hugh Jackman's character has been fought, trying to figure out the whole time. He just kind of stumbles upon randomly by the fact that just Nikola Tesla just made this magical transportation thing mm-hmm. that that has no basis in reality at all. And so it's it feel it feels like you're watching a not sci-fi film, and then suddenly it's a sci-fi film, but with no actual explanation. It's it's very Jules Vernesian ish. But, but, even, but you don't get it. You don't get it from the start. It's just the 
midway through the movie, the Nautilus just pops out of the ground. You're like, oh, <laughs> hello yeah, there. And it's like, oh, now we have nuclear subs. Yeah, like, yeah. And I don't know if like, and I also felt like this initially whenever I watched the film, but the more I watch it, the more I hate the final twist mm-hmm. of just the fact that it is just some it, like the the quotation marks magic trick is actually a magic trick, like a, a true magic trick mm-hmm. where there's no explanation for it. And there's no explanation for the logistics or anything like that. And it just bothers me and it eats away at my soul every time <laughs> I think about it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to take it from here. Sure. Uh, okay. I gave plot an eight. Okay. Um, and while I, so I'm going to talk about the Tesla machine as sure. well. Yeah. Because <laughs> we have, we have an actual electrical engineer. <laughs> so I, I enjoy pieces that refuse to be constricted by the genre that they're in right like i like when they reach out and say i'm going to take an element from this other genre and i'm going to incorporate it uh and so i think that it's it's a fun element to have this sort of jules vernesian science fiction aspect to the story however the logistics of it are not good (laughs) not at all uh the the what it does do well is it establishes the rules of how it works from the perspective of its relevance to the plot, right? Mm-hmm. It it quickly and succinctly tells you it this machine creates a duplicate of whatever is inside of it and transports that duplicate an, an undetermined some, amount of distance some, some, away. Some amount of dif- distance away, and that distance is configurable which Tesla does. And it's very yeah. consistent. Yes. It works the same way every time. Um, and uh, so from the perspective of being able to use it as a plot device, it's actually quite well constructed narratively. But the idea that you can do that with electricity is really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, like, okay. So like at this point in in history, like actual history, Tesla is essentially broke and he is um, uh, relying on benefactors yeah. to to come to his aid and give him funding for additional research of the of AC mm-hmm. electric currents. I mean, this 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 almost describes Tesla's entire career. Well, yeah. Well, no, but see, like like <laughs> but this is this is basically what is happening. And, and somehow Tesla happens upon this machine that he he has created that can clone or duplicate and and teleport things well, that, what, that he knows he does <clears throat> this why would he just not take this he's, and like he's a man of his honor and his word and he was paid to create a machine that is dumb well okay it well, is. like, like I'm the, it's not. The, the thing that the way that there it's couched here though is that um edison is going to destroy any effort that tesla makes to to push his own career right so if Edison could find the box, he would just destroy it and he'd be gone forever. Um, I mean, sure. So, so sh- shipping it to London is a safe bet. Right. Um, and really. he, he also, it was also a fun, like this, this film has a lot of themes in it. The main ones being obsession, but also uh, duality. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you've got the, the, the obsession and the rivalry and the duality all mirrored in the Tesla Edison conflict that's yeah. kind of just going on as part of the setting mm-hmm. um and so that was that was kind of a, a fun touchstone to be like hey look there's this it's the same story it's also going on over here they're more advanced in it and he's saying dude 
run away. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth your time. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so that was fun. I I there are other problems with the the Tesla scenes because like he invites his benefactor to come and watch the test, the first test of his device. It's not the first test. But if oh, it's no, it is, no, it is. It, it is, is because because he's disappointed that it quote unquote didn't work, right? right. Whereas it's it's we later find out it did work. It's it just didn't working. do what he thought it was going to do. Right. And so like, but that's not a thing that you do as a, a, a scientist. As, as a scientist, as someone who is but creating he's, he's a repeatable an, process. He's an eccentric. He is. But but even then, like you just you just anyway, you just that whole that, it no. was it was set up so that we could have our character that we're connected to be a part of the scene. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Yeah, because because mm-hmm. then even um, once they figure out what it's doing, Andy Serkis's character was like, "Oh, I should have checked the the configuration of yeah, blah 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 blah." Yeah, and it's just like it's like, oh, come on, you guys are scientists. Like, if you guys can make this machine, you should be able to understand. Just like, oh, maybe I just need to check this parameter over here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that all aside, I thought yep. the rest of the plot was really, really quite fantastic. Um, the the fact that you are presented with the evidence of what the machine actually does so early mm. by being shown the hats in the ravine mm-hmm. um, means that the first time you see him put the hat in as a test, you're 75% of the way there to understanding that Angier is still alive at, at the climax, right? Like, like I yeah. was, was right there. And so so the foreshadowing is much stronger on Angier's trick than it is on Borden's. And so Angier's trick with the machine becomes a misdirection to where it obscures Borden's trick with the twins. At least that was my experience. Because you're so focused on the hand that you see mm-hmm. that the hand you you should be looking for becomes functionally invisible. Yeah. Um, and the fact that the whole plot is structured in the the way that the outline of a trick is laid out in the opening mm. um, is also is that's just like a fun piece of artistry that was incorporated into the film. Okay, that's fair. Okay, Joel's making me rethink my score. <laughs> so I gave it an eight. Okay, I'm not positive that I'm convinced it deserves an eight at this point <laughs> in our discussion. <laughs> But we'll, we'll talk about things I can give it credit for. One, Nolan really likes to tell a story that has three timelines. He does. Yeah. Yeah. That is like almost every film. Almost every. I mean, Dunkirk, it really stands out. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the, the whole concept of the film is that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, this one too. Mm-hmm. That is the whole concept. I thought it was interesting, Joel, that you were talking about how uh, you felt that Angier's trick was more telegraphed mm-hmm. than Borden's. When I feel like while Andrew's, the telegraphing of Andrew's trick is a very visual thing in a very visual medium, Borden's trick is telegraphed. I mean, it's beaten into you. Cutter straight says he's using a double. Like, because there, there's no right, other right, way. Right. I mean, like, all of the evidence points to what the answer actually is, uh-huh. but you're so convinced that it can't be that because you're following Andrew so closely well, and that fact, you discount it. Uh, or at least not, that, that was my experience. Yeah, I, I wasn't and, that, and also, that convinced. And <laughs> also, too, like, the the scene, I think my favorite piece of foreshadowing, because there, there was a whole bunch that they kind of, like, flashback to mm-hmm. yeah. when you get the thing. It's like, oh, you cut your, your fingers are bleeding again. How could this be possible, yeah, yeah. you know? Uh, but the scene where... 
Um, it's like the first scene with with Borden and uh, Sarah, and she's like the governess to this kid, mm-hmm. and he's crying because he it's thinks a, it's his nephew. It's her nephew. It's her nephew. Okay, and and he's crying because of the the no. bird that he quote unquote saw die, you know, in in the trick. And then he brings out the bird. He's like, no, 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 it's fine. And he's like, yeah, but what about his brother? And, mm-hmm. and, and then, and then, and like, there's this, it hits with Borden more than you expect it to. And then you get the reveal of, oh, well, that's how the trick is done. They do actually kill the first bird mm-hmm. and then just bring out another bird. And, uh, which is just kind of a foreshadowing of his entire. Right. Arc. Yeah. So. <laughs> I gave it an eight because I think that all of this is really well constructed. Mm. There's a lot of time put into putting this together. And, you know, this is just the meta-ness of the movie in that it is a magic trick. And once you see the answer behind the curtain, it's not nearly as interesting. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, and, and um, uh, Borden says that multiple yeah, times. Yeah, he does. Like, yes. When they find out your, when they find out the secret, you are nothing to them. Yeah. yeah. It's the same scene as talking to the bird. He's telling yep. us to the nephew to the nephew like when they find out your secret you're nothing to them it's the secret they want so you have to keep it right yeah and, and that's that basically describes his whole character and his entire arc yeah because because once you and, and that's the thing is once you find out that he does have a twin and and basically like they sold out hard to make which, sure which that, even like them selling out hard like that is why he's able to spot what the chinese magician is doing mm-hmm. right it's because he's doing the same thing yeah he, yeah he and and by that point like he was already in on quotation marks the con of him having a twin yeah mm-hmm. but him not telling anyone that he has a twin yeah right yeah. so he has, he has insight into what's going and, on and the fallon character hadn't shown up yet at that point so mm-hmm. like you don't have all the pieces yep um, when, when you're given kind of the, which that would be a really linchpin piece for him to, cause he's speaking so admiringly of the Chinese magician of, he is subjecting his entire life to convincing people that he's this frail old man yeah, just mm. so that he can make this trick work. Where, where he has buns of steel. Right. Like <laughs> thunder thighs. <laughs> and, and like he's, he is one, he recognizes it immediately Two, He is speaking so admiringly of it mm-hmm. that if you had more pieces at that point, you'd be like, oh, he's doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it is telegraphed pretty hard between interactions with Sarah, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, you don't love me today. Exactly. Or, or, or you mean it. Or you mean it today, but some well, days yeah. you and, don't and, or and vice the, versa. And the thing is like, it's, it's the first time through, at least my experience of it was again, and obviously different people are going to pick up on mm-hmm. different parts of, of clues and put things together. But for me, it was just, that is the first symptom of his obsession, right? Like he has mm-hmm. fallen to the obsession first, which he did because ultimately he made a horrible life choice. Both of them did. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but at the time you just think that it's one Borden and, uh, you know, he is, he is exhibiting signs of this obsession that at times just completely drives other considerations out of his mind entirely. Yeah. And, and that whole scene, init- like whenever she's like, oh, you don't mean it today. It's be- he, that was right after he shows her this really cool trick that he's, that he's been working on mm-hmm. and you can tell he's really excited about it. And, you know, so it, it fits really well in the like, oh, he could be talking about magic, right, yeah. but me knowing what it is, I'm like, but he's also just, you know, he's just he's, a lover. He's, he's the wrong boy. He's just yeah. the wrong, yeah. wrong brother. So, and, and, yeah. it's, and it's interesting, too, because I, I kind of want to, this would be the reason that I would want to go back and watch it again. And mm-hmm. it would be if I could pick out which scenes, which brother is playing Borden. 
mm-hmm. because it's actually pretty easy with the it's, second. It's not yeah. hard because just because in retrospect. one of the like they're both committed. They're mm-hmm. both all in, but one of them is more obsessed than the other. Yeah, right. The the higher energy. So you have what is it Albert and Fred? I think are the two brothers. Alfred. No, Alfred is the character in whole in whole because okay, okay. it's the combination of Albert and because he. When, comes, did, when does that even get revealed? I don't know that that was because there's it does. there's because uh, Scarlett Johansson's character calls, calls him, him Freddy, and then the one that is like actually seriously disturbed by Sarah's death when he comes to her because oh, like that's like, his place of business is don't don't, don't call, call me that. that yeah yeah uh, and you get because it, it is kind of fun to to look back at it and see who is what right because you have the whole funeral scene the confrontation about well, what mm-hmm. what not to oh, yeah. he says he's like, I don't I know because yeah. he, that wasn't who was there yeah yeah he, so he like, like know. in 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 also that talk case, about drawing the short straw I can't go confront him you got brother you got to go confront him I don't <laughs> I don't think his brother knew he went that's also possible because yeah. because he was he was not so the obsessed one tied the wrong knot right because they they're always pushing the line yeah. pushing the envelope the the one that loved Sarah. And therefore, had he was he was the more human he of the two. He feels the connection right? to the loss. He he wanted to say sorry, but couldn't because of the pact he'd made with his brother. Right, mm-hmm. and so he did the only thing he could, and he showed up. He brought the persona of Alfred to the funeral. Yeah, but when he was confronted, he couldn't give an answer because he didn't know. And then again, he was the one performing the tricks when. Um, Angier shows up with the gun, right? And he, even to save his own life, he couldn't tell him because he didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but then later on, the only other source of information we have on the, well, did he know, did he not know, is the diary, which is written by the obsessed brother. As a as a trap. As a trap. Yeah. And so that is completely unreliable narrator. There's no useful information yeah. in that at all. Which I liked the play back and forth of the two diaries mm-hmm. with them them handing off mm-hmm. false information to each other. Yeah. And Andrew is always kind of learning. Like, oh, this is that's a neat trick. I'm gonna do that to him. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh so so maybe some questionable plot outside of Tesla magic electrical machine. <laughs> I don't okay. Uh the so I I don't know. This is maybe just a question for y'all. I'm not sure. The uh, bullet catch trick, right? Mm-hmm. There's no obligation to put a full charge's worth of powder in that gun. No, I wouldn't think so. You just need it to be. You just need to bang to flash. Yeah. yeah, and and you can even just mix other stuff in with the gunpowder, just so it has the. It does smoke, and it looks like you put a full charge in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you look at him like, is this trick really dangerous, or are y'all just stupid? <laughs> <laughs> well, but that that could have just been more of the or or it's the obsessive, um, or like he he wants it to be the full right, thing, right, yeah. Right? So it, that could be part of it. It just, it always. That could also just be how the trick was done back then. The result is stupid. Is, is more on the lines of not, I'm not going to say honor, but like, like. Commitment. Commitment. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, it's also like how expensive would it be to get a specialized mixture of gunpowder that was less potent, but also didn't introduce its own dangers of extra particulates and stuff like that leaving the barrel. That also, if you were getting it from a vendor, that would also keep their mouth shut. Right, because, yeah. Because, you know, at this yeah. point in time, magicians, you know, like they were well, so... Well, the tricks have value. Right? Yeah. People are literally selling tricks to each other of mm-hmm. this is how you do this and that's worth, you know, 5,000 yeah. or, or 100 or whatever the trick is. 
so that that is a risk, and we we see that risk played out in the plot with the the issue of having a non blood relative committed body double. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that comes back, which actually that scene was really amusing for me because it was kind of a look at what modern magic looks like. Because if you went to a magic show in today's era and they did that trick, then him stumbling out the other door acting drunk would be the act. Yeah. Missing missing the uh the hat or whatever. Because that's that's kind of the traditional stage magic now is the person acts like they're kind of bumbling and dumb while they're doing something really incredible and it's yeah. like two levels of impressive. Yeah. So I'll I'll actually add probably my favorite scene of the whole film is whenever um um uh, he breaks his leg or mm-hmm. knee or whatever. And then, <laughs> uh, and then Borden, you know, he see like, you know, gives him the smirk. He, yeah. gives him the smirk. He goes up and then, um, you know, he has the actor tied up mm-hmm. and he, he gets lowered him down and he's like, this is a way to promote my show. Yeah. Um, which I thought was just fantastic and exactly what needed to happen. Well, it's also like, that's kind of, that's the point where you realize that, or at least where Angie realized that Scarlett Johansson's character has really flipped. Yeah. Because that's the kind of showmanship and marketing that that he was not capable of doing on Mm -hmm. his own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause up until that point, he just never had any kind of like, yeah, like he was, he was all about the craft, Mm -hmm. but it was, it, it was never the audience. He wasn't playing the audience. He was playing for himself. Yeah. He's like, Oh, look how cool this is. And I just did that. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so so I've got another plot point question to bring up with y'all. So we have the the brothers Borden, right? Uh-huh. Full commitment to the thing. Yep. One brother gets shot, loses his fingers. In order to ensure that we're the perfect double, the other brother sacrifices his fingers, right? Yep. Yes. So what did Fan Fanlon is that Fallon? Fallon. What Fallon. did Fallon do with his hand the entire time that he's acting the part of Fallon? Because he has the exact same injury, which is an obvious enough injury that it's necessary to replicate it to make the trick seamless, right? Mm-hmm. For Scarlet's character to say, well, it can't be a double because you can tell he's wearing the padded glove. What does Fallon do with his hand for the entire time that he's acting as Fallon? Because he's got the same very distinctive injury that's difficult to hide. Well, the, the thing is, though, Scarlett Johansson's character is the only one who saw it, right? Is, well, even as many times as Angier went and saw that act... He never picked up on that detail. So it wasn't obvious. It was just obvious to her. Well, but it's also one of those things where that's happening on stage. But if you're just around this person a lot, which just kind of by default, Borden's wife kind of has to be. Well, Fallon never spoke. That's a, that, 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 that's a different thing. And that's, that's necessary because you can't talk in the exact same voice. Yeah. But at some point, what do you do with your hand that has this injury the entire time you're acting out this kid? Because it just... It can't be seen everywhere or it's going to give it away, right? In order to be a complete person, completely different person, it has to be hit. Yeah, he just he, has – well, I mean, I mean he's, he's always – He's got the Napoleon going well, he's on always wearing time. he's always wearing the gloves, right? right? And so that at a baseline, as long as you don't do anything to attract attention, mm-hmm. is enough in for, almost for, every case. Yeah. And I guess we could play the other game of uh, whoever is actively being the Borden overstuffs the glove. Yeah. Right. So so Fallon has a regularly stuffed glove that just looks like fingers and then his is overstuffed and it pulls the the eye away. Right. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's the you just don't I mean, get it. It's the, just the, weird to think about that. Where well, they like, can't they can't give it to you because they're also trying to obfuscate your vision. Right. Of Fallon, yeah, yeah. So. Mm-hmm. 
it's just one of those things where it's like, well, how, how do you like logistically, how do you support this for however many it is, years it you is, have to carry this you out? You just, you have to commit. You just have your hand in your pocket at all times. <laughs> at some point, you know, it's just, just part of your life. <laughs> okay. So entertainment, let's move on to the entertainment, which is outside of our technical review. This is if you like the movie or if you didn't like the movie, I got a feeling I know what these scores are. Um, I gave it a seven. I know what all the scores are. I know what all the scores are. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the average that we presented at the beginning of the show was in fact a seven. Yep. And I know what my score is. So, yeah, (laughs) so that probably means that all of us have sevens. Um, no magic trick here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a fine movie. Um, I think that, um, you know, overall the, you know, the, the more you watch it, the less you get out of it. Well, and I mean, the, the twists are revealed. Yeah. The, the secret is out and it is nothing to you. Well, there, well there's, <laughs> there's diminishing returns, right? You watch it once and you get the twist, provided you haven't been spoiled because it's a 16-year-old movie. And you go, ooh, they, they pulled that off. And then you watch it again and you want to see where the steps are. And then you mm-hmm. see that. And then what else is there to yeah, watch? Yeah, but even then, I, I mean, you know, I gave, I knocked it pretty heavily on the the final twist for, um, for Angier and the the magic machine just doesn't do it for mm-hmm. me um just because it, it up until that point like and i understand like they hinted at it at the beginning with all the all the hats but it's definitely one of those things where like it really took me out the second i was like oh this is just magic now okay cool yeah, it's yeah. like a science sufficiently advanced that's indistinguishable from uh, yeah, magic. yeah yeah so yeah. Though I did I did enjoy the one like the the guy that they're talking to in order to contract the space for this for the the limited run of shows mm-hmm. that's his ultimate trap for Gordon. Uh he demonstrates the machine and the guy's like, "Oh. Oh, it's been a while since I've seen real magic. You're going to have to dress this up so the audience doesn't realize." So so it yeah. looks a little less Yeah. And so like, "Oh, there's there's something else going on. Like this isn't totally unique." Yeah, he's seen so something was, else in the that past. Was, that was a fun nod to the idea that the the understood and regimented view of the world that we have going into this movie is just a veneer. Mm-hmm. And there are mysteries untold lying just under the surface. And that's a very romantic sort of Jules Verneian way of mm-hmm. looking at yeah. the world. Um and it's it's definitely a a style choice that is not necessarily going to be your cup of tea. Yeah, well, in, in most of Christopher Nolan's films that aren't Batman, mm-hmm. um, are, are are all have a sci-fi twinge yeah. to them. Dunkirk doesn't. Mm, yeah, okay, that's fair. Dun- Dunkirk is just World War II realism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like most of uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> most of his films. Just have a, a sci-fi twinge to them, and, or, or and most of the time it's fine. Um, this one just felt almost a little bit too egregious for me. Yeah. Just when I was watching it, yeah, was it, it, he did Interstellar, right? Oh yeah, yeah, or it's just pure sci-fi. Yeah, which yeah. that is a fantastic film. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I also gave it a seven. Shocker, shocker. Wow, good for <laughs> and um, for me, it was as I alluded to before the spoiler wall. It was the the just the complete weight of dread that sits with you throughout the whole thing because you just know that the next scene is going to be another bad decision leading to horrible consequences mm-hmm. yeah and it's i sat there at the end of the film 
And I can tell when a film has been really effective at what it's trying to do when I just, I need a minute to decompress after the film, right? <laughs> and I had that experience with this one. And typically that means that I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. But this one was so heavy yeah, that it was, while I was blown away by the technical mastery of manipulating my responses. Mm-hmm. It was still a tragedy. It was still just so hard to watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's, it's the third act. And we have to reveal. No one cares about the person in the in the closet. Box. Yeah, yeah. The box. <laughs> I also gave it a seven. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> uh, it's just barely on the threshold of rewatch. Just because maybe I want to go back and see all the hints, but I'm pretty sure for me the hints were so over the top. It was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, get to it. <laughs> because like, and we have the whole bit with well, you know, you have to be willing to to kill to do this kind of tricks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we have the whole where he can't stand it, that he's under the stage. He's not the one getting the, the standing ovation. Uh, you know, oh, it must be a double. And, you know, there's uh, wigs and makeup and everything that's not part of the show. And, like, they they hit you with this so many times that pretty early in the film, you know what the twists are. You're just waiting for them to get to it. And it kind of takes a while to get there because towards the end of the movie, it slows down. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely a moment of, like I, I saw it. the movie's only 210 like get there holy cow let's go so i don't know it, it, i wavered between like a six and a seven here because mm-hmm. i don't necessarily know that i will rewatch it just because i think it's so heavy-handed with the, the hints and kind of giving stuff away that there's only one or two maybe go back and play the game of which borden is this you know mm-hmm. I, but that's that's maybe its best selling point or or maybe you you have someone there who hasn't seen the 16 year old movie somehow we found two out of three here (laughs) yeah uh but you find someone who hasn't seen the 16 year old movie and you watch it with them then you just kind of stare at them in a you know creepy way whenever they're hammering home these Mm -hmm. suggestions and you're like well how how quick does my friend pick up on this you know so i mean it was it was fine it it wasn't it was not the best nolan film i've seen uh it was a very nolan film yeah uh but yeah i mean I like I like you know like I kind of mentioned very early on there are a lot of big names and I wasn't crazy with what we got from them and I think some of that was just you know on more on the script side of they have to maintain these secrets so hard mm-hmm. that they just can't let people go so yeah yeah um before we before we wrap it up um I did want to uh say cuz we've actually done two um of these suggestions from one of our listeners Paul uh, we did not mention him in the Princess Bride episode. We are going to mention him now. He suggested for us to do the Prestige, and here we are at the end of the episode doing the Prestige. Thanks, Paul. Yes, <laughs> Paul, Paul is a big fan of us, and we are obviously a big fan of him. Yes, because we have done two of his suggestions. Nanny, nanny, boo boo to anyone else. Suggestions? <laughs> How does that make you feel? <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's a good shout out. Yeah, uh, that's a good catch. I to- I totally missed that this had been a suggestion. I had to I had to make sure to open up the spreadsheet that I got the name, make sure that it was the right person. Yes. Um, but I do remember uh, I got to the, we got to the end of the episode for Princess Bride, and I was like, oh yeah, that was a listener suggestion. Well, sorry, Paul, we're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> double double accolades. Yep. at the end of this episode, it's just a little little couple steps away from the first. Yep, suggestion. But I do believe on that note, that is all the time we have for this episode. So until next time, I'm Stephen. I'm Andrew. And I'm Joel. And as always, every spoiler was intended.
thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, you can support the show for as low as $1 at patreon.com slash spoilers intended podcast. We also have a Discord server and would love to have more people joining in the conversation. Links are in the description below. Thank you.